Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. So we've had um, a few people writing in recently expressing surprise at our physical appearance compared to what they imagined, having heard our voices, you know, they've seen us on Instagram or YouTube or something like that. We've had another interesting email this week from Anthony Lewis, who says, can I just say that Dan Burke, the Andrea Pirlo of One Football, that's a callback to a previous show, looks almost lo- nothing like I thought he might. Although Dan is perhaps my favourite podcaster, I imagined him, for whatever reason, as looking like a less wild-eyed Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, salt and pepper hair, reserve style, somewhat paternal. For the record, learning that in reality... <laughs> well, yeah. In reality, Dan looks less like a classy middle-aged gentleman and more like a bit of a pasty nerd, has not lessened my fondness for him in the slightest. I think that might be the definition, the dictionary definition of a backhanded compliment. Has that lessened your fondness for him? <laughs> no, I still love you, Anthony, um, even though you insult me. <laughs> Shut up, nerd. <laughs> well, we've got a packed show this week, so we'll crack on. Uh, welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm Dan Burke. I'm joined by Lewis Ambrose. Hello. Helga Voltman. Hi. And Daniel Cadena Jordan. Hey. If you want to insult our physical appearance, or better still, <laughs> better still send us a question, the email address to do so is podcast at onefootball.com and we'll be getting through a few of those questions as the show wears on. Um, now earlier this week I was planning this podcast and in my mind I imagined the Champions League section was going to be fairly short, you know, I thought both uh, you know, all four ties played this week were going to be fairly cut and dried, um, going into the second legs, but how wrong I was. Yeah. Um, we'll start with Wednesday night's mayhem in Paris, where an injury ravaged Manchester United became the first Champions League team ever to go through after losing the first leg at home by two goals or more. Um, Lewis, we've got to start with that controversial late penalty. Was it a penalty? Do you think <laughs> it wasn't a penalty? I think I think there's three like criteria for a penalty that the refs are supposed to go by. It's the the distance, the shot. Like if the player has enough time to get out of the way of it, um, if the arm is in a, a natural or unnatural position, and if he moves his arm towards the ball. And I don't think he did those last two at all. Mm. He's jumping, his arms by his side, uh, and it didn't it certainly didn't move his arm out towards the ball he's also not even looking at it so there's yeah. no way it can be on purpose um, I guess you can you can see why he's given it but I think it's really really harsh I don't know what you guys thought the thing is I've <clears throat> I've wondered myself because I have to admit I, I don't know what handballs are anymore because <laughs> I've seen literally the same situation. It feels like it changes every week. Yeah, yeah. and it's like I've seen situations that were exactly the same just being handled differently and something that was blatant handball I saw it was no, like didn't give it even with VAR and everything. Um, so I asked around today before the, the, we recorded this and asking different people like what did you think? Like, And I've got it basically down the middle of like yes and no. So even like, even if we would agree on this now like, like, this shows me that VAR shouldn't have been uh, even gone onto this because this wasn't a clear mistake, which is normally the criteria. Yeah, it should only be used is, when it's yeah. when it's when you can give almost a yes or no kind yeah. of answer. Well, I was I was absolutely gosma- gobsmacked by it. To be honest, I, I think it's one of the worst refereeing decisions I've ever seen. But you thought it wasn't, didn't you? Uh, no, I actually think it was a penalty kick. But it's kind of the same, like the other side of the coin. Like, yeah, I can understand why it's debatable. Uh, but I mean. You do see the guy. He, he is, in, you know, midair when the, when the ball is kicked. But he is turning around, and it is the movement, like the rotation, that places the arm right where the ball goes through. So technically, you could argue. I'm playing here the devil's advocate yeah, a little course, bit, yeah. but you know, it's it's I guess sort of like why. But it did feel like a penalty kick around the moment to me. To be honest, I did, as soon as the ref went over to to watch it, I thought he's going to give it. I, yeah, I, mean, I don't think in that in that stage of the game he goes all the way over to the thing if. 
if the guys in the booth aren't telling him yeah we think that's a penalty mm. um, yeah. but the United players didn't even appeal for it they, the ball went out for a corner and everyone just sort of went to set themselves up to mm. defend the corner and then uh, the refs just stopped and ran over to the screen mm. was, some of them like I think I don't know who shot the ball but like, he was saying like a handball Diogo Dallo yeah. Yeah. yeah but it wasn't like they, they were co- like crowding around the referee no, no. And just, yeah it wasn't aggressive <clears throat> or anything you'd think really. if there's any moment you're going to appeal for anything remotely it's, it's going to be when it's yeah, like, you know you've got a minute left to stay in the Champions League it was quite subtle but I, I think there was something there yeah, I think it was I, I would be very very angry if that was given against my club let's <laughs> just put it that way we're now at the point where they've sort of, they are being consistent with the decisions and they've now decided that well if it hits your arm in the box it's a penalty regardless of whether there's, there's intent there if that's the rule then fine but then they've got to do it yeah. every single time it happens there's going to be eight penalties and, a game and also, <laughs> I, I don't know I've talked to, to Dre who's on the podcast as well every once in a while um, and he brought up a good point there it's like if actually every handball in the box is going to be a penalty people are going to start shooting just yep. against other that's players true. just to try to get the ball against mm-hmm. their hand yeah. and that's not the intent that we had with the game so that's I don't know if that's going to solve it or if it's going to make it even even worse in the end like I don't know. Like we will have to see if that actually happens, but I think it might. Or it could think, be. Like for some situations, penalties are just worth too much. Like so, yesterday's the penalty that was given yesterday is the same reward for the attacking team as if someone punched the ball off the line, yeah. which seems a bit odd, or you know gets taken out when mm-hmm. they're one on one with the keeper. Well, seems a little bit strange to me. You can kind of argue that about every aspect of the game. No, some of tackles of course. are yellow cards, and some of are course, yellow cards. Yeah, that, but know, warrant then, to be. You know, does, does there need to be? But that's that's when I'd say then does there need to be? You judge it not so harshly when it's you know a shot from 30 yards is going well over the bar and is handballed right on the edge of the box I don't know I don't know if you can what if you can fit that into the rules somewhere what you could do is maybe give like a like a free kick if it's in the in the box around the yeah, maybe 6 yard you, like if it's yeah, not in the 6 yard area thing, then of. you just give a free kick until a free kick get, inside get the a box. shot again yeah or I think even or, you know, if like, like if you think the handball's on purpose it's a penalty and if you think it's not on purpose but it's still handball then maybe you do that and you give a free kick inside the more box confusing. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is, this is you just it's wonder a bit of a if, rabbit hole, isn't it? We're creating you just problems. Wonder if it's yeah. worth too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nick Miller tweeted this morning. He said, "We've lost the point of why these laws were brought in. Handball was to stop people picking the ball up. Offside was to stop goal hanging. It's so far away from that now. It's absurd." Yeah. Do you think the, perhaps the biggest problem with VAR is not the technology itself, not the existence of the technology, but the officials just aren't competent enough to make those decisions? Maybe, but they know the they know the rule book better than anyone else. So I don't. I'm, not, I'm definitely not trying to defend officials, <laughs> but if if they can't work VAR, then I don't think there anyone there is anyone who yeah. is who can. Yeah, so. to, me, to me, it's just that we're still using it way too often. Like yesterday, for example, that decision where we're now discussing it so long and like. As I said, like I asked a lot of people, and they're all down, like split down the middle. Then it shouldn't be like if he's maybe having his arm over his shoulder, and like he's really like I don't know, like Suarez back in the like 2010 World mm-hmm. Cup on the line, and the referee right. misses that, for example, then the VAR should be there, but maybe not for these decisions that are probably still they might they might have still made the right call according to the to the rule book or whatever, but. I don't know, this seems to me just if we use it so often, then it's going to be as well for decisions where, where there's a lot of discussions around. If everyone's debating about it the day after it's happened, then yeah, the VAR shouldn't really be used in that situation. <laughs> I think it's also a matter of, uh, of, you know, it feels a bit bureaucratic. Like there's a lot of steps involved in getting like a final decision. That's why it takes like, you know, 90 minutes, 10, 90 seconds to like two minutes. Um, whereas whereas if it were something similar to like the NFL, where, you know, you get a decision, you get the play, get the consultation, get the referee, and, you know, 30 seconds, and that's 
that. The game just keeps on going. I mean, if that were part of like the solution, how to make this more efficient, how to like train the referees to, you know, when to go to the touchline, not when not to go to the touchline, when to trust their own instinct, for, for instance, maybe then VAR could be a bit more digestible and not give us that much debate the next yeah. day because I think it's a lot in the implementation, definitely. I mean, there's a huge, uh, there's a lot of human error still, but I do think VAR has helped clear, like narrow down that, that human error. Not necessarily the decision, it's whether or not the decision requires a second review but I do think it's, it's, it's pointing us in the right direction one way or another uh, it's just you know sloppy decision making you know human error at this point and yeah. I do think that there's still a learning curve there to you know behind the technology and how to make it uh, as quick and as efficient as it is in well American counterparts top sports for instance when we're talking about this much maybe the laws are just wrong and we just need to have clearer defined let's off, rewrite the whole sport <laughs> let's just scrap football think and yeah. you know pick up hockey or something it's got too know, ridiculous but, no, actually I've written an article like a year ago on this where I was proposing the challenge system as, as like a little bit like we have it in, in US sports where because yeah, yeah. I, I would take away the responsibility of like when to use the VR from, from referees to some people that sit somewhere like in Germany it's Cologne where they they don't like in the communication the fans don't know what's going on and why they decided like to check this one did they check the other or did they not and people don't know to me it would just be like, okay let the coaches or like the players give the coaches a signal and then it's like hey we saw something or I was hit um, and then the coaches can challenge like once or twice mm -hmm. you can even like if you don't have interruptions like in the US you can still go like okay if the challenging team has possession control possession of the ball then you interrupt the game so you don't you, do, you can't uh, cut off counters and everything you can work around that but that would take away this like okay why are they checking this situation why don't they check the other yeah. and you can actually just go like okay the ref on the field in that case just goes to the to the screen there's no other ref involved you don't know what they're talking about you just see the one ref he's responsible goes to the thing looks at it says okay this is now my decision done mm -hmm. and I think that would take a lot of confusion out of it I think it's just one guy responsible for it and that would be way better yep not a bad idea well enough talk about VAR for now um, what a performance from United Lewis even as a staunch Manchester City fan I think I have to admit that was some result wasn't it with the team that they had exactly out, yeah. that's that's it I don't I don't think United like pulled up any I don't think they were spectacular um, but with the team they had out you would have bet your house on them not mm. managing to go through last night that midfield of what was it Fred McTominay, McTominay and Pereira you yeah. thought wow yeah, they're going to lambs to the slaughter yeah fair, right? fair play to them for doing it I, I don't think it was I don't think it was this heroic win that some people are talking about. I think we, we had this when United came from behind to beat Juventus in the group stage. Mm. Oh, Mourinho's United, finally, th this is what they're made of. Yeah. Like, no, it was just a complete <laughs> false dawn and all the luck went their way in the last 10 minutes on the night. And I think last night was a bit similar, but obviously the entire mood around the club mm. is so, so different. And when they've got Pogba back and Martial back, then any team's going to be afraid of them in the next round. Mm -hmm. Well, there's been a lot of clamour on social media and elsewhere for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to give him the job now give him a 10 year contract do you think that's wise or do you think this, they'd better wait until the end of the season just see what happens you know they could tank for the rest of the season from, from here on in they've given him the job and they're in a bit of a sticky situation then aren't they they could uh, but they, they could equally be good to the end of the season and then tank for the first 10 games the next season at mm. some point they've, they've given someone a contract I think they obviously a 10 year contract would be insane um David Moyes' Man United contract is still going, by the way. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the one that he originally signed. I think this is the last season that it would have been. Yeah, yeah. That it would have been uh, in play. Yeah, I, I think Solskjaer now has done enough, and it, I think the huge thing is it's clear that all the players either want him to get the job or would be very happy for him to get the job mm. after all these results. The players look happy. The team just 
looks happy, is playing well. Uh, the fans obviously love him. I think it would be. I'd be quite surprised now if he didn't get the job, but. I do think United should err on the side of caution and give him, say, a two-year contract mm-hmm. or something like that. I think anything more than that would be a big, big risk. Yeah, also I think <clears throat> it's not a matter just of results. I think, of course, you can see now like they're playing well, the players are happy, as you said. Like, I think it's all true. Um, but as well for the board, like, they shouldn't just look at that. And it's something they should know by now as well. Like, how is he in training? Like, how how does he prepare the the team? How you know, like all this stuff that happens behind the scenes that we can't. We can't have any idea about it. We just see the result on the on the field. But they have been watching that for, for weeks or months now. They must by now have an idea of, like, okay, is this the right man for us or not? And then I think... You might be overestimating Manchester United <laughs> after the last few years. Yes, no, but I know that this is true. But in the end, that's their job to do. Like they have to look at, at these things as well, not just the results. And then... Yeah, I mean, picking up on that, there is no drama for the first time in ages. Uh, I mean, it, it feels kind of calm coming from United for the first time, as you say, Lewis, in a long time. Uh, like, it's felt every single season because of Mourinho, because of Moyes, because of whoever it was, there was always a tantrum going on, a player that, wasn't, that was disgruntled, someone who was really underperforming or something. Now the team finally seems picked up. It seems quiet. Uh, the dressing room seems cohesive. Uh, and even if what we saw on the pitch wasn't necessarily, like, the most logical lineup for Man United, it kind of worked for him in the end. So... Definitely, Solskjaer is doing something uh, like worth recognizing. Maybe mm. not now. Maybe it's a, still a bit too soon. Maybe they just do the quarterfinals and they get you know, fucking destroyed over there. Well, that's the thing. They don't. They don't have to make a decision right now. Exactly. So. I mean, the, the whole debate I think is a bit premature. Has he earned it? I do think he has earned it, but I don't think it's a sort of decision you take. You know, in March, it's a sort of decision you make mm-hmm. in May. You know. Yeah. So come the end of season or something like that, then maybe yeah, you could be talking about something moderate, maybe a couple of years, three years, if you want to feel, you know, on the you know, risky side of life. But mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I think the guy. Earned it definitely. Yeah, I was really impressed with his game management in the game last yeah, night. Definitely. The way the he sort of um, knew when to sort of stand firm and when to push for that winner right at the end. Um, you know, they got a bit of luck. You need a bit of luck in this game sometimes, but it was. Yeah, he had the pulse on the on the whole momentum thing. Right? Yeah, he got it. Dare got I say it, right. it Ferguson esque. <laughs> <laughs> but PSG, PSG. Bloody PSG. According to Richard Jolly, 28 clubs have reached the Champions League semi-final since PSG lasted, including Nantes, Schalke, Deportivo La Coruña, Panathinaikos, Dynamo Kiev and Leeds. Pretty damning, isn't it? Do you think there's... Um, was it just a case of bad luck for them this time or is there something inherently wrong at PSG? I think it's a very Tuchel kind of situation because he's probably one of the smartest coaches of life, definitely. But he has that one odd game where it just goes against everything he planned and it's one of those games where he simply has no real reaction to what happens bring the player he may decide the move whatever he decides to do how to reshuffle the squad it just doesn't work out in the end Uh, I think they were held dealt a bad hand luck wise also with the Buffon fumble and everything a penalty kick in the late minute and whatnot. but uh, but yeah I mean something happens when the coach is that volatile that it kind of brushes off onto the rest of the team and you kind of pick that up on the, on the field sometimes. Sometimes mm-hmm. PSG, with or without reason, feel they're rushed, feel like they have to be playing 110% the whole time, playing 150 miles an hour. Not necessarily the case. And you did get a couple of those slip-ups there here and there during that game. I mean, and uh, definitely, you know, flagging when they should have been pushing mm-hmm. in, in certain moments when they should have. Well, that's it. You know, we said Solskjaer's game management was good. I thought Tuchel's game management was really Precisely. poor. I think it's yeah. it's a good case there where, where you know, the, tacti- the, the tactic- tactically superior coach, so to speak, in this case, you know, balancing Tuchel and Solskjaer, you know, he was 
outsmarted because he thought it too much mm -hmm. and he, he overthought things and you could tell that it's usually like a brain free situation where you've created so many scenarios in your mind that you don't even know what tool to pick out of. I think well, that, it's really harsh <clears throat> I think we, like Thomas Tuchel was until he wasn't behind in this tie until the 181st minute he didn't have Neymar or Cavani for both legs he's been that forced to play Marquinhos in midfield because they don't have a good enough squad yeah. in midfield um Yeah, I think it's a bit unfair. I don't think he, I don't think he did anything wrong necessarily. PSG went one 0 down and could have completely shattered. And I thought the reaction was brilliant. They went, they equalized, but they equally could have scored a couple more goals. Mm. Um, and yeah, and they've just been forced to play Mbappe up front and forced to play Draxler and Di Maria throughout the 90 minutes in both of these ties. And they, they just usually wouldn't. It would, you would have Neymar, you would have Cavani. We can talk about Man United's injuries as well, obviously. We mm -hmm. already mentioned those. Um, and it's not to take any credit away from them at all. Uh, PSG were still obviously the big favourites and they've screwed up. But I don't think, yeah, Tuchel overthinking it. I, he's... Tila Carras play a shocking pass. Buffon's made a hideous mistake, and then the referee's given a penalty. We spent 10 minutes talking about is it even a penalty in the in the final minute of the game. So I think it's just one of those days. Yeah, we could have been having so. Oh, sorry, I was gonna say, we could have been having a very different conversation today, couldn't we? Yeah. If that penalty. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think when something happens in the 92nd minute, and then everybody's opinion changes completely, then mm. it, then you shouldn't be changing your opinion like that because yeah. it can just happen to anyone. Yes. Also, there's so much going down to, to just dumb luck as well yeah. in one of yeah. these games for example or like something that's out of the hands of the coaches for example when you look at Mbappé how he was sliding around on the pitch like he had the wrong shoes for this game <laughs> like he yeah. was alone running towards goal and he felt like he was Tripped on him. ice like he was just like sliding around like Bambi them. yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then you know like he, he bottled that shot you know like Stuff like that happens where it's like, okay, you can have all the tactical knowledge, you can you can prepare all you want, and then something like that happens, or these these other mistakes that you talked about already, then what can you do as a coach? Like, mm. Yeah, I did, the line's so fine. I remember when uh, Pep Guardiola left Bayern Munich and people said he'd failed because he hadn't won the Champions League, but in the Champions League semi-final, Thomas Muller had a penalty that he missed, and with that, Bayern Munich would have been ahead against Atletico Madrid. It's, this is how fine the margins are when the players are on the pitch it's sometimes it is just that dumb luck and it's out of the coach's hands yeah. football is a game of ifs as they say um, do we still feel sorry for Gigi Buffon about his Champions League nightmare nah. coming to an end or is he it's like you're 41 mate now let it go someone said he's like <laughs> it's that. time to grow up isn't yeah, it yeah <laughs> he's like that old fella who turns up to five aside every week and no one has the heart to tell him to, to go home yeah, like, it's, it's just like, like quits, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, that was a dreadful that was a pretty dreadful goalkeeper yeah I mean uh, obviously he's passed his prime you feel kind of bad because of what the penalty kick meant in the end and mm. like the bigger scheme two years in a row with a last minute penalty yeah I mean <laughs> it feels kind of bad for the guy and like he never got like the proper farewell he wanted like Juventus never won the championship the Champions League they were supposed to win on his farewell year Italy tanked the last World Cup he was supposed to play uh, his fight next Euro is supposed to be his last well it better be he'll be what 30-44 by then 43 <laughs> um, but yeah I mean like he never had like the proper closure he wanted with all the different teams and clubs he well club and national team he played for now he comes to Paris for this like so to speak brand new beginning or like a final um, goodbye and it, it didn't go his way either I mean kind of sucks a little bit he's still him. not a bad career has he let's be there's honest there's still it's reports a great, last night as well that he's going to sign a new contract at PSG yeah that so is true you never know two more yeah. years so 
<laughs> 43 years old he's going to win it when he's 50 years old on the bench <laughs> just didn't play a single game well they put him in like in the group stage in the land technically last, two uh, minutes they, 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 they already threw they already yeah. threw they put him on in the last game so he has played some minutes there and, and he's going to celebrate it John Terry style <laughs> <laughs> what do you think was going through Neymar's mind when he was watching those last few minutes on the touchline <laughs> with his Elton John earrings oh, is this um, is this podcast explicit rated uh, it is now uh, <laughs> um, yeah what the fuck <laughs> what the fuck just yeah, you, it, it, it you've just, got to be fucking kidding me yeah yeah yeah, it, yeah a lot of people don't like Neymar for understandable reasons but um, to what before I kind of felt a little bit for Neymar last mm. night it's, to be honest it's fully out of his hands yeah, yeah he's just he's sat there and watched his team lead until the very last like never be behind <laughs> until the very last second he's like yeah I'm go- I'll be back for the quarter final it's yeah. fine Everything probably get a draw against my former club Barcelona it's, everyone's going to go mad and, um, It'll be perfect. and now, now he's got to wait another year to win it maybe Jeez. maybe in another city I don't know you know, he's still got the uh, Coupe de France to look forward to or, or whatever, hasn't he? Yeah, exactly. Well, bizarrely, uh, the game on Wednesday night wasn't even the biggest shock of the week, I don't think. <laughs> what the hell happened to Real Madrid? Well, a bit of everything, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, uh, we were talking before we, we came in to record. Uh, it felt it, the, like the 4-1 in the end felt like the end of a cycle, definitely. It was not only the conclusion to a Champions League in a very premature fashion, it was a thrashing on, on behalf of admittedly well now that obviously you know the surprise of the championship but a couple weeks over it was still you know Ajax Amsterdam maybe even without Ramos Real Madrid will be fine you know it was yeah, it was it was fine to have Ajax as a rival but mm. well, lo and behold uh, not so much now is it <laughs> but uh, well there's an end of cycle feeling to that there's also to add to that the whole classical debacles uh, the past week that meant being you know losing cup and league as well so it's that's kind of what it, it, it felt like it's, it's finally Real Madrid closing a chapter a real successful one um, in a season where they never really found an understudy for the key player they sold and it's shown ever since um, so it's, it's kind of like a self-made self-fulfilled prophecy in that, in that sense like you made the wrong decisions in the summer you made the wrong decisions throughout the season so you know, logically yeah, you know, yeah we came ashore <clears throat> didn't we I mean it's the weird thing that I think nobody really still expected them to go out against Ajax yeah. especially not like this but it, it's basically what everybody said before the season. Like they probably expected them in the quarterfinals against the big opponent, or whatever. But everybody was surprised that they didn't get a replacement for Ronaldo. Or yeah. even if they go like, okay, we we can't replace him in that way. We have to get more uh, like midfielders in that are actually threatening the younger midfielders, goals. Like, like scoring goals. Because yeah. because Modric and Kroos, they're not the goal-scoring machines, they pick up that... that yeah, and, and they're not performing the way they used to. Then you have Casemiro, who's been really sloppy throughout the whole season, yeah. and when he used to be a rock. Marcelo lost his starting place to Reguilón, who's been admittedly really, really, really decent. Um, but... But I mean, it, it just feels like the coming of like the coming of age of this guard came too sudden. It came without the one player that could have maybe saved it for them, and it came at a time when the young prospects are simply just not up for it yet. I mean, I'm sorry, but Vinicius is great, but you can't replace Ronaldo with Vinicius at this point. I mean, no, it's an 18 year old. Sound really really stupid <laughs> and obvious, but apparently Real Madrid didn't get it, so I'm going to say it anyway. You don't just sell someone who scores 50 goals a year and not sign anybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> work like that does it it's, no, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. that's basically the whole season the whole season's been I mean you talk to any Madrid fan and they say no I mean he had to leave they made the right like they fully con- like they really drank the Kool-Aid this time and that you know Florentino's doing the right freaking I, I thing I don't and- this is the thing I don't even think it was 
the wrong thing or the wrong time to, no, but just to let Ronaldo go. But you've got to sign someone. Yes. Yes. Well, well, no, the Bale will do it. Well, they, got Mar- will do it. they got Mariano Diaz, who was never <laughs> never supposed to be the Ronaldo replacement. But what's happened to him? Is he even playing anymore? He was injured a bunch, and uh, now he's come back. But, you know, too little, too late, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, the season's just gotten its course. He got his big paycheck, and basically that's I that. think what Modric said in the press conference before the game the other day, that, like, Benzema, uh, Asensio, Bale, they've all got to step up and score. 10, 15 goals that more than last season. Like, it's just such a fanciful idea that all these players will suddenly just start scoring lots more goals. Oh, why didn't I think of that? Because yeah. Ronaldo. Yeah. How, about, how about Modric steps up and scores more than two goals? Oh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. just speaking of himself. Be, yeah, how dare you say that about the world's best player no, in 2018? No, he was. Yeah. And the thing Apparently. Is, the thing is, you just have to look at the, the team in, in total. Like, it's okay to have midfielders that don't score that much if you have someone like Ronaldo up front that just needs to be set up and you have players around him that score like 10. Mm five to ten goals that's all fine I mean but if you sell him then you need midfielders and like because the strikers yeah. won't score as many goals as it was, goals. It was like, terrible. you need more goals for midfield and then you can play Kroos and, and more last season was a huge omen to what this season might have been well, what ended up being actually um, in the sense that Real Madrid went to went on the winter break last season 2017-2018 fourth in the league as well uh, Ronaldo were, had only scored a few goals in the league by that point right? yeah he hadn't had a like good he season. went on a great run after Christmas yeah but exactly it was after Christmas that the guy yeah. kind of started shining again and, and lo and behold Real Madrid you know starts performing well they win the Champions League they improve their ranking in the league and everything um how do you not learn the lesson from that like you notice your team was you know already fairly aged I mean a team that averages you know 29 years in their starting midfield is hardly a you know a youthful squad is it um, and then you have the fact that you only started performing and you saw it once your one big player CR7 starts performing <laughs> um and why would you sell him and not bring someone else? Yeah, that's that's what it brings me back to like the discussion we've had and the debate that happened in summer. Like, how do you not read the sign that Bale is not going to pick up the slack? Benzema is going to be probably more decent because now he gets to be like the sole striker, and he's usually better at that. But he's. 31. It's not enough. I mean, the question is, who, who could they have bought, realistically? Dude, I mean, you could, with 100 million, you can buy a couple players. It's like, who do they get as manager next? Like, th- there are no good managers available. There are no good players available. You think, you, like you think when Real Madrid come knocking them, people will, somebody will take up the job? Maybe. I mean, it's that simple. Pep? I very much thought that. Not Pep, well, the Why don't you take a step down? <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Wow, that's a... I love the comments of this They part. love him there. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the point being that Real Madrid, like, definitely, like, they, were, they, they had... They'd seen this movie already. They just chose to fully ignore it, and mm. and the bed in the summer for st- to sticking to Bale instead of, and selling Ronaldo, not bringing you know a, a substitute or like you know Dybala could have been decent enough. Icardi would have been ideal. Uh, like there's, I can think of names that with a hundred million mm. you can wrap them around, and Madrid has the cash. For I mean, they they didn't like they didn't even they didn't bother. They didn't go all it. Like if they'd have really gone for Icardi or really gone at Bayern with a hundred million for Lewandowski, fine. And, but Levin, they didn't. and Lewandowski had refused because you know he was talking about leaving. Yeah. Uh, really openly at the end of last season, it, and he, you know, just turned around and said, "Well, I'm not going to train." Then the, the, the deal would have got done. I think yeah, obviously, there's that. Yeah. In, it's I don't know. It's, it's one of those baffling cases of, of big teams making big mistakes. I mean, and it's also was already surprising how long because they, they didn't buy many players in the last years. Yeah. Even like they they must first of all they must have some money left. The, over. the last like really big signing was Bale, I think. Wasn't really, it? yeah. Um, Vinicius then. <coughs> well, Vinicius, but it, yeah, it was thirty know, million. Uh, Vinicius uh, 
who else did they bring in the meantime? A couple of kids from the youth squads came yeah. back. Glorious Brahim Diaz, who forget that little lad. Uh, he's yeah. not playing either anymore. So like no. it tells you like the, the he's playing less at Real Madrid than he was playing at exactly. City. Exactly, that's the irony. And he was touted as this big you know mm. reinforcement and whatnot. But I don't know. It's basically like the, the whole transfer policy Madrid's gone gone lopsided. It's really I mean, strange. They bring Odrio Sola, pay for thirty million for him. He's not playing. They bring in Mariano Diaz, pay around the same amount of money. Not playing. They bring in Vinicius. He's probably the only signing that's been playing uh, regularly. And you know, but where's Ronaldo? You mean you sold the mm. guy? I don't know, it's, just, it's, it's hard to wrap my right mind. I guess they'll sign Eden Hazard in the summer, but I, Probably, yeah. I still don't know if that's enough. Chelsea let him go, yeah. And the thing yeah, is, yeah, exactly. the central yeah. midfield by now, like they should have some yeah. some people actually, you know, that, that, that could follow in the footsteps of these players or they give them more rest and play some younger players. In if only they games. had a guy like Isco. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it's, I don't think he's the same kind of player. Yeah, you know, man, they, they, but, but you could switch up the system as well. He should probably well. be playing yeah. at some point. Well, yeah, yeah, in this Madrid, he would be a starting 11 player in any case. Case, but I think that in any other like yeah. with Zidane I kind of got it that he wasn't that you know that much of a starter but with Solari I mean, come on yeah, yeah you can yeah. see it. for example right now James is playing as a number 8 at Bayern yeah that yeah, might and he's actually scoring more goals or at least setting them up with the set pieces you know that's yeah. another player yeah yeah. well the uh, defeat to Ajax was the heaviest home defeat in a knockout competi- uh, knockout match in European competition ever um, the first time the season's effectively been over in March for 42 years how much do you blame Sergio Ramos for that result of the night you know he purposely got himself booked in the first leg so he could save himself for later in the tournament he sat up in the stands filming his Amazon documentary it's it's so schadenfreude couldn't it's have happened to a nicer I mean, bloke could it it's yeah. so fucking delicious I mean I really do enjoy the fact that someone who arrogantly got himself kicked out to get a bit extra rest also got himself screwed in the league because he also got I think what was it? I think it was a red card no it wasn't a red card it was yellow, uh, right? double, yeah it was this fifth yellow card, which means a yeah, game suspended, okay. he gets because of the of the of, of it being on purpose in the Champions League, he gets suspended for two matches, mm-hmm. uh, and then it's what you say. Like then you have this this weird situation of the guy up in the the most expensive seats, like surrounded by cameras, filming mm-hmm. as his team is being knocked out. I mean, <laughs> it's it's really entertaining. Poetic justice. It's also, poetic yeah. justice. It and is. Also, I really didn't understand when he did it after you. You realize how tough that game was for yeah. them in the, in the first game against Ajax. You go 2 1 up, which is, you know, it's not, it's not, not sure. No. Yeah, it's not like you were like 3 0 and it's like, oh, I'll, I'll get booked for the next game and, and then I can play in the quarterfinals. You were 2 1 up. And you had a really tough game where it's actually Ajax could have won, they should have won it actually. And then you just go arrogantly, as you said. And then yeah, you just. Exactly. That, that's, it's really pure arrogance. And I think it's really cool that it goes. Yeah. Well, let's that. talk about Ajax actually, because yes. we've got to, haven't we? Yeah. They were bloody brilliant. That was amazing. Yes. Did anybody know they were that good? I, I certainly didn't. Uh, Van Hal didn't. Van Hal knew it. I mean, he said at the beginning of the season that this team was even better than the 1995 Ajax uh, team, which is, you know, yeah. a big statement having, been, having that been the last generation of Ajax players to win the yeah. Champions League. Everybody thought like you know he, he's lost his mind is insane but well here we are I mean 4-1 in Bernabeu destroyed Real Madrid they outplayed them outperformed them in any single aspect of the game and they look great I mean that's the thing it was not like a one-off game like they've been having a decent uh, European season so far and uh, what you see on the pitch is a team that clicks is a team that understands what they're doing and that they have a purpose and I think that's the, the, the brilliant part of it like it goes all the way down from the youth divisions and Ajax all the way up to directives and one single plan being perfectly executed and then finally you know ripping rewards out of yeah. that it's, it's, the, it's, it's the warning signs were there for Madrid I think the 
yeah. you mentioned the first leg, but in the group stage against Bayern Munich, Ajax went, they gave us help. Ajax mm. went to Munich. They drew the game and they deserved to win it. Yeah. And I, I think at the time, a lot of people were like, "Oh, Bayern are really out of form. This is oh, what another shocking result for Bayern." But then you watch the game. You don't. You don't still go go to Munich and almost win and, and, and draw Bayern, yeah. unless you're a really good team. Lots you know, Barcelona have spent a fortune on Frankie de Jong already, who was wanted by a few other massive clubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matthias de Ligt is wanted by everybody. Tadic after this will be wanted Jordan, by everybody else. Maybe he'll go to Barcelona. <laughs> the two are already Barcelona legends before they've even <laughs> yeah. arrived. I was going to ask about Tadic actually. Why? Um, how's he gone from being not good enough to Southampton to scoring a perler in the Bernabeu? Do you have think? you heard of Mark Hughes? <laughs> I have, yes, yes. <laughs> I don't think it helps. Yeah, yeah. I guess not, yeah. What was your favourite goal, Helga? Tadic or Lasse Schoener? I think... I don't know. I think... Wasn't it that Real Madrid scored before Schoener's goal? Was it that? Just yeah, before, right before. Yeah. I think yeah. because of that, I liked it because they just... Because I said, I remember, like, I said, sitting there, like, this is the right reaction. You just get a free kick somewhere out and you just nail it right in the goal. And it's like, no chance whatsoever for Courtois. And you just go, like... You score against us, right? Like we used like, a free kick from the freaking sideline to just knock it right in there, extinguish and just, the hope immediately. Yeah. Mm, I love it when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> I love to see people's exting- hope extinguished. Yeah. <laughs> Such a joyful fella, indeed. Yeah. Um, what did you make of the VAR call in that game? I don't want to spend too much time on this because we've talked about it a lot, but it was interesting, wasn't it? We talked about it also a bit earlier. It's, it, it was a game of angles, I think, mm. in the end. Uh, if you see the, the the take from from above. There's a camera that did that. Uh, it was clearly allowed. It was still on, in play, but there's a certain angle where it's it feels kind of like diagonally aiming, mm. like from up upwards downwards, um, where you see you feel the ball goes out fully out. And but I don't know, it's it's camera play more than more than anything. Mm. I think it's uh, yeah. There I would go again to the to the point where you just have to. You can use the VA, like if you're. When you're in doubt, you shouldn't use the VAR. The, the ruling of like in, on the pitch should just stand. So if you can't really clear it up within a reasonable time frame, then there's too much doubt, and then you just leave it as it was on the pitch. I would say we have goal line technology. Should we have touch line technology as well? Well, I mean, just same extend. Why not? Just yeah. extend the line. It's the same no? principle. Just make yeah. it go. You know, round. Yeah. Ref's watch beeps as soon as it's off I mean, the it's pitch. Not, I don't know. Uh, you know often that you get a contentious touchline call is there but you Maybe, know for the, yeah. the twice two times it happens a season it's probably worth it yeah I guess but also if it happens in on the in the other half of the of the pitch on the like, and then you still have so much time to stop the whole thing it's like well do we really need to equip all the stadia like with, yeah, with yeah. so many cameras just because we had one call where it's actually you had plenty of time to to stop the like to stop the attack after mm-hmm. I don't think if it takes excuses away from Real Madrid fans then it's probably <laughs> worth it <laughs> I love what, what Toby was writing uh, in our uh, German WhatsApp group for the German news desk where he was like, what was it in the, in the for everybody where he was like oh shocking the first year that VAR is in the Champions League Real Madrid doesn't win it win the League Cup of Champions yeah <laughs> Uh, going back to Ajax, going back yeah. to Ajax for a moment. People are talking about them, saying you know what they what they're doing is a triumph of recruitment and coaching and youth development over money. Do you agree with that, or do you think that's sort of all these overreactions that people have in situations like this? Where we, well, Monaco did it a few years ago. Exactly, they, yeah. they have a lot of money, but uh, Monaco did it with almost a youth team. People are acting like this hasn't happened for mm. twenty. 
15 years or whatever uh, Monaco reached the semi-finals yeah Dortmund have this kind of reputation for 2013 well that's what I was thinking actually when Dortmund that Dortmund Bayern final I I remember you know being in England at the time and everyone was like German football is the model that everybody should follow (laughs) and no one's really saying that anymore are they so I I think it it comes in waves these things and that doesn't mean that Ajax shouldn't get loads of credit but other clubs can't just you know suddenly clubs in in England or whatever with Ajax's budget or clubs in Germany mm. they can't just turn around and go oh right let's do this like no this is yeah. this is just a model that Ajax have followed for yeah. s- for decades yeah. and the other thing is they spend a lot more money than other Dutch clubs or they do, most they do. Other Dutch clubs and, anyway. I mean, and on, on top of that as well you've got like sometimes it's just pure dumb luck you, you can't just like look at, at Tottenham they've got a lot of young players at the moment but you can't just oh let's get a Harry Kane out of our academy mm. like no that's just luck that that, that yeah. kid has turned well, out to be I mean, that good I think it's, it's, it has a lot to do with scales so it's what you're pointing out I mean Ajax is sort of to speak the Real Madrid of the Netherlands and when you have the bigger pool of resources in your country you can scout and recruit the bigger players and bigger youth names in your country Basel does the same thing in Switzerland or they've done that in Switzerland for a decade now it's been magnificent business wise for them sports wise Basel have reached more Champions League second round instances in their history and this is the last decade sorry than in their whole history Young Boys Burn is kind of becoming a, something similar in Switzerland so it's kind of like pitching the idea that Bayern do something better than Real Madrid just because their budget is smaller I mean there is there's a lot of merit to the fact that you know it's still seven euros per each euro Ajax has compared to Real Madrid budget wise it's still a huge difference but they're still the top dog in their division they still have a system as you point out Lewis they've been working at decades for this like if there's one thing Ajax is good at it's scouting and mm. they've proven that the, time the sad time. thing is that next year it, yeah, the, 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 this team will all be apart but, but they yeah, get, everybody's uh, going to be gone but, but they they the thing is that they build the model thinking of that. They're thinking about yeah, having exactly. two great yeah. seasons, you know, milking the cow and then selling the cow, and that's that. And then just restarting the whole process, and yep. you know, just you know, 250 million euros richer. So mm. it's not a bad business when you think of it. And uh, well, we already have 80 for one player. I'm pretty sure two or three more are going to leave for maybe 50 or more. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the whole thing speaks for itself. So mm. I think it's, it's it's a thing of like that they are guaranteed the Champions League as well, basically yeah. in their in their league that they can compete in there yeah. or at least the Europa League, and they they can grow these. Players. But I think in general, clubs should look at that. Like where you just go, okay, think about what how, what kind of football you want to play, and then kind of like structure your, your club accordingly and get coaches in that actually bring in that style of football. Yeah, you should work backwards from there. Really, yeah, you? reverse so, engineering, yeah, maybe. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah well, what is admirable is that they stay within the budget. Like that's maybe like the big lesson here. Like sustain, sustainable football being like the end, like the big champion out of all of this. I think yeah. is like the and a nice narrative. I think, but uh, but yeah, maybe that's the big moral because like back in the Netherlands, you can ask any Dutch football, they'll say, yeah, well, Ajax is around Madrid. So, mm. yeah, is it that? Full of merit? Not really. It's just you know, cool that they're sustainable over there. Yeah. So, what I like as well with them is that they continue playing their way of football. Yeah no matter against whom like when they played against Bayern they, they did this they did it against Real Madrid I thought maybe they would crap their pants when they played in Bernabeu because <laughs> that happens to teams when mm-hmm. they get in that stadium that they just really get scared and they didn't care they just played their football and they have technically gifted players so in the end then it's like okay like if you if you have these resources and you use them accordingly you, you, you keep with your style and actually it might work 
of course the team's going to be gone in two years and mm-hmm. and then they have to rebuild <laughs> this but yeah like you can you can, you yeah, can do it at least for a short time you can you can annoy, annoy the big teams as well with these kinds of kinds of uh, yeah I thought they games. were exhilarating to watch against Real Madrid yeah. um, there were two other Champions League games this week um, Dortmund were beating 1-0 <coughs> by Spurs 4-0 aggregate Lewis I tipped Dortmund as my dark horses for the knockout stage why didn't they live up to my expectations Marco Royce got injured ah oh, bloody uh, yeah. <laughs> same old same old couple of injuries in the first leg and you, well because this, this tie was lost in the first leg I think everybody can agree with mm. that yeah. when it was 1-0 with 10 minutes to go Dortmund they had a choice to either go for an away goal or protect the being only 1-0 down and they didn't do either mm. they they didn't push for an away goal they ended up conceding two late goals and it was as good as dead and buried by then mm. You were at the game the other night. I yeah, gather you were yeah. quite impressed with Dortmund's performance overall. I thought Dortmund were, were, yeah, considering this was pretty much a mission impossible job, I thought Dortmund approached the game absolutely perfectly. I think the lineup, there was a few eyebrows raised that was very offensive. Götze, Royce, and Alcasa all starting together for the first time. Jaden Sancho in the team. Marius Wolf, who's typically a midfielder, a right midfielder, playing at right back. Um, but Dortmund sort of they had to score three goals, and in the first half, it, they made you think it could. It was on. Mm-hmm. I think the team came out the blocks. They pinned Tottenham back. They played really, really well, and they deserved to go one or two goals up before half time. And then Harry Kane scored, and it was over. It was yeah, it was all done within the blink of an eye. Like that's that's the main difference as well. I, I think the injuries, yes, not just Royce, but also Piszczek, who's really important yeah. for balance yep. when they, because he, he knows when to go forward, when when to hold back, and like to even if you have Hakimi on the other side, and um, when because he moves forward a lot, Piszczek is really good at balancing that out, and then, back yeah, there, yeah, and then and securing that. So I think these these players, like several, not just boys, were, were missing there. And also I think the big difference is, as you said, like Harry Kane gets one chance, he, he scores it. Whereas Dortmund, they don't have, like Alcacer is a good striker, I would say, but they don't have that one, like, he should be the, they number, don't have a he should be the number two yeah. striker. Like, not just the Kane, but like someone who is, like, he needs only like one or two, two shots and he scores. It's the goal. thing, I think it's similar to what we talked about earlier with PSG and just sometimes also a bit of dumb luck because yeah. Dortmund obviously scored a lot of goals this season they scored three goals against Bayern in that game they they didn't have many more than three or four maybe five decent chances and sometimes you have three chances and score three goals and sometimes you have ten chances and you just don't score and Hugo Lloris made a couple of good saves Alderweireld and Vertonghen made a couple of great last ditch sort of blocks it could have been a very different story but um, apparently there were only enough space for two Champions League miracles this week oh dear (laughs) oh well well moving on to domestic football Uh, we've got some proper title races on our hands in England and Germany and we'll start with the Premier League Manchester City now point clear at the top with nine games to go Liverpool have still only lost one league game all season yet they've taken just 16 points in 2019 should they be worried or encouraged by the fact that it's still so close at the top there do you think both <laughs> yeah I guess yeah, so I mean yeah. it's not over is it but, yeah. um, but Liverpool's form doesn't doesn't inspire you that you know this is a team that's absolutely on fire at the moment mm. I, d- I don't know what it is I don't know if it's the fact that Klopp maybe hasn't rotated the front three enough during the season but they looked against Everton and the week before I can't remember who they played no they, they beat Watford in midweek but against Everton and uh, a couple of weeks before that against Leicester they just looked a bit leggy a little bit fatigued mm. um, I thought they looked really good against Bayern Munich if they play like that they'll they're going to run Manchester City right to the last game of the season um, if they play like they did at Everton then maybe not I, 
yeah, it's hard to tell how much is left in the tank, I think. Mm. Well, Klopp um, sort of blamed the wind afterwards. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> d- the a... wind died down every time Everton got the ball. I don't know if you <laughs> Apparently so, yeah. Uh, he also had a little altercation with the Everton ball boy. Do you think he's feeling the pressure a little bit, Jürgen? <laughs> yeah, I, I think a little bit. Um, and when you've only lost one game and you've been top of the league for two months or three months almost, they were, I think it's the beginning of December until the very beginning of March, they were top of the league. Um yeah, and then suddenly it's you're not top of the league anymore, and there's mm-hmm. only nine games to go. I think anybody feels the pressure. We've seen moments Fasted. where fast and wind as well. Yeah, yeah. I, we've seen, but we've seen. I, I don't think anyone's immune to that. There are moments where Guardiola's sort of gone off on one at the media, or, or you know, in other countries you see it all the time. All the other coaches as well. Um, so I, I just think it's human. I don't think we should read into it very much. And also the altercation, altercation. <laughs> quotes with the with the ball was even the dad said I think in the end like, it was good fun. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was quite good. Yeah, it was kind of light-hearted. Yeah. yeah. Well, City are still in three competitions. They've struggled a little bit with injuries. Do you think their pack schedule is going to be their downfall ultimately, or, or could that momentum kind of encourage them? It depends if Fernandinho stays fit or yeah. not. I think it really could just fall on that. It's the only position in the entire squad where City don't have a great replacement if he's injured. Mm. And yeah, if he's fine, especially for the important, the big games in Man United and Tottenham, I think you've still got to play uh, in the Champions League games late later on, then I think City have got a shot at winning everything. And if he's not, then goodbye. Yeah. You mentioned Fernandinho there, Jonathan from The Hague. Um, I think that's where he lives and he's not there on trial for war crimes. But <laughs> if you are, I hope you get justice, Jonathan. He wants to know whether uh, Angolo Kante to City would make sense as a signing. I, I don't see it. I... I think people, there's a lot of talk about uh, Kante not fitting into Maurizio Sarri's style of play, mm. and I think it's a very similar style to to Pep Guardiola's. So I find it difficult to see. Yeah, same to be honest. Although I would love to see him at City because he's. I'm amazing. sure you would. <laughs> yeah, uh, Arsenal are playing Manchester United this weekend. Are you feeling confident about Arsenal getting a result there? Um, I don't know. Every time I thought Arsenal were going to win a game this season, they didn't. Yeah. So, yeah, Arsenal have looked really good in the like better in the big games this season than in the sort of games you'd expect them mm. to win. So, they drew against Liverpool at home, uh, beat uh, Tottenham and beat Chelsea as well. So, I think especially after United, uh, we talked about their squad being a bit mm. thin. You obviously can't underestimate them at the moment, mm. but. Um, I think we're in for a good game, actually. Yeah. Stephen Scott from Toronto says, can Arsenal pull off top four? Do you think Arsenal could do well at all in the Champions League? Who should Arsenal bring in and who will they bring in in the summer? It's a packed question. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Arsenal can definitely finish in the top four. I think if they lost at the weekend, then that would be that would be over. At the moment, they're fifth, just ahead of Chelsea. have got a game in hand, just behind Man United and now only f- uh, four points behind Tottenham after mm. they've dropped a lot of points recently. So I think those... Those two spots between those four clubs is going to be quite close at the end of the season. If Arsenal beat United they, uh, on Sunday, they go into the top four already. So it's definitely a, a decent chance, but they're going to have to perform well. It's been sort of up and down this season. They're going to have to go on a good run now until the end of the season, I think. Mm. Do you think top four would represent a satisfactory end to Unai Emery's first season at the club? Yeah, definitely. It's progress from last year. Yeah, so. that's true. Yeah, yeah. Now, as promised, we'll talk about the Bundesliga. Uh, Bayern level on points with Dortmund now. 
What has happened to Dortmund exactly? Have they, as we would say in England, bottled it, Helga? Well, we've, we've spoken about it earlier. They had these really terrible injuries that were happening there. It's like Royce and Pischek most most prominently, but also Akanji was out for a while. Yeah, long while. Um, they have the trouble with, like I said, in front that he's not scoring uh, right now. Uh, even though I think they would be happy like, before the season if someone would have told them he scores 13 goals about yeah, them now definitely. they would have been happy yeah. it might just have been like they would have liked it to be spread out a little bit yeah, more yeah too but much too soon yeah, yeah um, but in the end like I think there's like these injuries coming in uh, also then leading to the fact that the replacements they have for those players are quite young or very young actually um, so when when like Sancho has to pick up the, the the slack after Royce is injured, he can do it for like a game or two. Or, like you know he's 18. Like, what, what do you expect from mm-hmm. him? Like, like it's like Vinicius replacing R- Ronaldo kind of. Where it's like yes, he can take it up for a game or two, but like const- constantly for for long periods or longer periods of time, it's really difficult. Um, I think it also shows that they, they have troubles breaking down the smaller teams right now that, that really park the bus against them. Uh, like Marco Reus would be vital for that. Like he, he can make the game so fast in, in, in like with one touch. And then like something opens up so quickly that, that that's something they're missing right now. Uh, so he's he, like him being back is, is a good thing. Actually, them being out of the other competitions might help them now because they can actually you know prepare better for games. Um, I have longer time to do that, um, but still, I think before this season as well. If you go back, if if we would have told them, okay, you're you're tied with Bayern after 24 games that we're having right now, I think they would have taken that. Like, they, that's it's not if bad. You, if you look at the, the 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 other season they had before, that was a terrible, terrible mm. season. So the, the way they're playing now, the the this, the fact that they are in the same points as Bayern, that's actually something still very good of course now it's like okay how you react to the, the the past weeks and that's something that they have to figure out you look at the oh. really fine margins as well and I think Dortmund when they went on this great run in the first half of the season they won every single close game they true. they played Augsburg um, it was a 4-3 one yeah they, they scored in an injury time free kick to win 4-3 and they went behind in Leverkusen and they won and every, every single game that you that you look at the game over 90 minutes and you think like yeah they deserve to win or they just every single game that was just any team could win it Dortmund won all of them and now they're not winning any of them because that's how it works sometimes you win those games and sometimes you don't and I think it was actually Dortmund rode their luck at times or just you know the very very fine margins went Dortmund's way in the in the Hinrunde and now since we've come back after Christmas you know 3-3 against Hoffenheim games like that the the game against Augsburg Augsburg have two shots and they score both of them <laughs> and, and whereas I think Dortmund were maybe lucky in the first half of the season to be as good as they were and have been a little bit unlucky to be as bad as they've been since and the injuries obviously don't help I think Favre didn't rotate the squad enough in the first half of the season so players who haven't been injured like Axel Witzel who was dominating games earlier on in the season isn't anymore and all of it just adds up to obviously dropping points yeah I don't know I don't know if it's just luck because if you, if you not just luck yeah, definitely no, no, not no, just luck like, like, if it's like a tight game because the two goals that Augsburg scored for example because they they were just blatant mistakes by the defense before and that, that happened quite a lot in the in the last weeks as well where we are a 
again at like okay they have very young players playing there um, but still they like I like what Matthias Zama was saying after the Augsburg game where he was like or after Nuremberg as well if you if you compare even this injury in or like score with a lot of injuries if you compare them one to one to the to the teams that they were playing against, they should have won these games against Augsburg and Nuremberg. Yo, definitely. Where it's just if you don't win, then it's also like a matter of like okay, it's mentality over quality. Then you always have to ask yourself, okay, if they if they can beat us like that, then you know. Yeah, but still, I mean, they did have also on top of not having Royce available or Piszczek available at the beginning of the year, it was also a tough calendar. I mean, because you had Hoffenheim, who's arguably not an easy team to play. You had Leipzig at Leipzig, who was also really complicated. You had Bremen in the cup, who was a, a, you know you played 120 minutes in that game, ended up losing in penalty that's, kicks. That's really for me where fatigue and injury comes into it. Exactly, Dortmund I mean, I think it's played, a point where they're just burning themselves out at this point. Dortmund I mean. played Bremen in the cup they played 120 minutes and they played the entire first team and I think most teams when they're seven points clear in the title race yeah. you, you change a lot of players for a cup game Dortmund played everybody Mark Royce got injured that night the next weekend was the Hoffenheim game Dortmund were 3-0 up yeah, and, and, after, and, that, and they were finished after with 20 minutes to go half an hour to go they were exhausted and just before that you had, you had, been, you had been visiting Frankfurt as well which is of all venues this season arguably one of the toughest I, I think, I, I think yeah. it was a bit combined of that and the fact that Bayern Uh, picked up the slack finally the team finally started um, amalgamating a bit around the idea of you know we have to press because that's basically what we have right now we don't have we don't have a Neymar we don't have a, a brilliant you know player you could say maybe Hamas but I'm iffy on Hamas because for starters he's injured half the freaking time and <laughs> the other half of the time well he's either complaining or you know not up to par but uh, I think it, it did have a, it did help a lot well, it didn't help a lot but I think it had a lot to do with the fact that it was one team finally set like coming into form for the first time into the season versus another team starting to realize well how demanding the style of play is the rhythm they have to play and how often they have to play it was just like so to speak a, a perfect storm for mm. against Dortmund more than anything and I think as well just very quickly on Bayern Munich they've won 12 out of 13 games yeah If they're playing like that, they were going to catch Dortmund eventually. I mean, it's just happened a few weeks. Statistics. It's just happened a few weeks sooner than people thought. But if Bayern Munich, we, we all know if Bayern Munich, they had a shocking for, or poor first half of the season. But we all know if Bayern Munich play to their level, they win the Bundesliga. And if they win 12 out of 13 games, if they're going to continue on a run like that, then there's no one in Germany that's ever going to stop them. Yeah, I think they just kicked in when they had to kick in. Yeah. I mean, they beat Gladbach 5-1 the way they did. Uh, last week just before the defining game of the Champions League which is when they need the most to beat Liverpool now uh, just as soon as with the, that 5-1 they got on par with uh, with Dortmund in the league and they also have the National Cup to play the Domestic Cup the Pokal so I think that you know it was a combination of like Bayern going in crescendo and Dortmund just you know exploding and trying to keep up the rhythm at 110% the whole time when everybody knows that's just not feasible especially when two of your key arguably best or most important players are players that have always been prone to injury like Marco mm. Royce and Lucas Pizek has been in recent years so I mean it's a bit playing with fire with Dortmund always because of that thing and until they don't sign a, a, like a proper Obama Yanesque figure like you know a really good striker a really guy up front that you know, could save you the game in the last minute kind of like Royce does and stop depending necessarily on Sancho only mm. well then uh, well then maybe Dortmund will have a bit more of a, of a chance of like spreading out that quality throughout the whole season but until they still depend on rely on one guy that is arguably injured quite often then it's complicated to mm -hmm. uh, you know assume that Dortmund is just going to pull it off because you know Marco Royce is there <laughs> I mean, 
doesn't work that way. Yeah. Well, at the other end of the table, Schalke were hammered 4 0 at home by Fortuna <laughs> Dusseldorf last week. You're all laughing. I think we're all happy because it's, it's just so meant to be. Well, I'm just happy they didn't fire the coach yet because they're going to play Bremen. Yeah, well, why? Oh, yeah, you did. Why, <laughs> why hasn't Dominico Tedesco been sacked yet? Uh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I, the thing is, they, they're playing one of the worst seasons ever um, I think Nico one of our YouTube hosts he, he did a really good video on it where he said in the last couple of years they would have been on a relegation spot either on the playoffs mm. or sometimes uh, even uh, in the last like five years they would have been like twice on a direct relegation spot um, the, the teams below them are just so bad that's this yeah that's the thing like, this year we have one of the lowest Scoring like like uh, like points in the in the bottom of the of the table. Yeah, worst performing teams were it's terrible. Like they mm, they kind over and Nuremberg are terrible right now. Like they they just they can't win. No, I think they have like three or four victories all season. Like that's it. And then you have like Stuttgart who has played terribly behind them. So they, they were always quite comfortably away from the relegation zone, even though they were really low in the, in the, in the table, but they were still like seven, ten points away from relegation area. So that there was no real panic there. Now, finally, after last weekend, where Augsburg had that surprise win, where Stuttgart was beating Hanover 5-1, they caught up now. So I actually thought he was going to get fired last mm-hmm. uh, uh, beginning of like this week, Monday. But he was kind of lucky that they didn't have a sporting director at that point. Mm. They just announced, they, they just got a new one, but he was not in charge yet, and he was contractually not, not able to, to make these decisions. Mm. So he was presented on Tuesday now, when it was too late to probably fire Tedesco mm. and bring in someone new if you play on Friday. If they mm. play, would have played on Sunday, I think they still might <laughs> yeah. have done it. <laughs> but all this came together, and I think now they're just playing a last game, uh, maybe even hoping that he, he pulls off a surprise victory, which I like after that last performance, it would be a big surprise if he, if he kind of rallies the team mm. together. But all of that, I think they're just going to wait until uh, if, if he loses on Friday, they can fire him on, on Saturday. Mm. They have all week to either bring in a caretaker manager. New manager bounce for the trip to Manchester City. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Well, bring in a caretaker and then, and then you know, you, you see how it, how it goes. But, um, yeah, it's it's... I think it's a matter of time by now. Like yeah. after, if they would have beaten Dusseldorf, maybe then they they would have still you know yeah four nil to Dusseldorf at yeah. home. Because so. I mean I've not watched them much this season. I watched them against City and I thought they were pretty good really. So it's kind of surprising that the domestic form is so. It's, it's a similar so season. Cool. You remember? I remember the year. You probably remember this one. The last year Schalke were under Maga. Yeah. That they were also 14, 13 thereabouts and managed to pull off a semi-final appearance in the Champions League only because of Raúl. Um, it, it was it was one of those bizarre cases where like cup wise, yeah they might shock you a bit in Europe, but domestically it's just really really embarrassing what you see because it's really bad football. It's not even a, a, a fact that you know kind of like Dortmund they were just you know shit out of luck one night or you know that they were struggling to find form and you're kind of seeing progress. Mm. They've stagnated since day one. I mean, it's just really, really bad all over the place. Yeah. And the they thing, switched goalkeepers. That didn't work out that well. And then they switched uh, them back for the Champions League. That then, didn't work then, out Then, well. then Fairman does a big mistake, and then he's still on for the second leg, and it's it's really it's really weird. It's you like know, there's you no know the consequences managers, to mistakes, basically. You know the manager's in trouble whenever he drops the goalkeeper. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a last resort. And brings in a 22-year-old on top. This will be it. <laughs> but, and the thing is that even though I would argue that this... like. The, the squad itself, it, it shows in the Champions League, the players' quality is not so bad that you have to be where they are on the table. I think it's a mentality thing. I think it's yeah. 
that well strikers is, too that's a thing yeah I mean they lost at some point they had five injured strikers <laughs> in the same time which is always not going to help you, you know? <laughs> um, but but also it's like a, it's a, it's a mentality because they, they still managed to come through in the Champions League. They managed to at least get a somewhat decent result mm. against uh, City and were actually you know up for for long for a long time. Um, even though they only shot like twice on goal, I think in that game mm. as well. But like they were they they are capable of bringing in good results. But then it's a matter of if you lose four zero against Düsseldorf, I'm sorry. Like, they, <laughs> They're playing. They're just playing a really good season, yeah. like for the for the quality that they have. But if you lose four zero, well, you mentioned the, um, yes, the they'll probably stay up this season by virtue of the fact that there are at least two teams that are much worse than them in the league. Do you, do you sometimes think that maybe they'd be better like extending the uh, relegation zone, like make it five teams, so that these teams who just sort of circle the drain for a few years just go down. Make it ten teams. <laughs> make it a vote. Get rid half of people. Half, yeah. yeah, yeah, like Big, Big Brother or something. I'd love to see a vote. <laughs> yeah, I would. Yeah. <laughs> the fans go voting. <laughs> Wow, I, I actually thought about more like if, if you want to have relegation playoffs as we have in Germany because the, the team from the second league almost never gets through to the first mm. so my I think Luz and I we talked about back like you could just make playoffs that you do for the first league and the second league because they're not going to get rid of playoff games because of money mm-hmm. issues and like oh it's exciting which is that more so so third and fourth bottom in the Bundesliga play each other loser goes down no matter what like 15th against 16th playing in the in the first league they play against each other in the the third and fourth in the second and then and then three uh, three teams go up and three teams go down Mm -hmm. and then you have have that more because right now it is a safety net Exactly. It literally, is if you get into the relegation playoffs, I think in the last eight years, one. No, it's one of the one last in ten. One in ten. Yeah, one in ten. Yeah, but with the financial gap between the two divisions in Germany is huge and it's growing. And yeah, I mean, can, and that's one of the things. It. Like yeah. one of the reasons why you start seeing that the level of the of the teams in the bottom of the league is so poor is because those are the teams that are well here they call like elevator like lift yeah. teams basically just go up and down the whole. Time. Yeah, it's also, it's becoming uh, way more common as well. Yeah, the, I mean, the, it's, it's basically the, the same names. The, the, the team who comes up almost definitely goes down the team yeah. that's coming up this year unless it's like this year you've got Köln and Hamburg in the mix they've got the money to compete in the Bundesliga yeah. but you know they'll just come straight back down the yeah. team that goes down is going to come straight yeah. back up and if not it's the next season because like Hannover did that thing yeah. that yeah. thing last season they came up had an okay season for a team that's back in first division <laughs> and now they're down again now they're down again yeah. Stuttgart kind of the same principle uh, it was a season well lucky season that lucky ending they had last season under the Kokut they fired the coach it all goes to hell and uh, now they're looking to go back down so I don't know. It's it's very, the cycle of life in first division is becoming a lot mightier, tough to find if your budget is not up to par with Bayern, Schalke, Dortmund, etc. I mean, it's 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 a shame, but you know, it's a reality. Well, that's about all we've got time for this week. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you to Lewis, uh, Danny, and Helga. Ian McCourt will be back in the big chair next week. So if you've got any questions for him, the email address is podcast at onefootball.com. Mm-hmm.